miracle before their very eyes. They still refused to accept him as Lord and Savior. Peter was someone you wanted as a witness for the defense. His allegiance and steadfastness would convince even the most strident doubter. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Mark 14, 13 and Matthew 26, 35. Peter's will was bolder than his courage. And like all of humanity, Peter was a broken man. He heft, he heftily, his hefty physical appearance and intrepid demeanor had its share of fissures and cracks. His three-pronged denial of Jesus was indeed his downfall, but it also begs the question, what would I have done that dark and tenebrous night? Oh, but how we love and forgive Peter for his humanness. Unlike Judas, Peter was grounded in Jesus' love. He could have, he could have wallowed in his guilt and shame, but by God's grace, he was able to overcome his betrayal and instead set about the more important business of building the church. How appropriate that the Greek name for Peter means rock. And I will tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, how much we are like your beloved Peter. We stumble over ourselves at every turn. We fail to stand up for you when you are defiled. Give us the courage we need to be loyal and faithful followers of your word. And should the rooster crow, let us be assured of your love and forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen. I love how she says that. And, and, sh and should the rooster crow? Because yeah. I think we always have that in our lives. I just love Marilyn's writing. So um, it's funny. I just, um, how this kind of started that we're doing Acts as we were in the last Bible study. And I, I kept talking about Acts as I was in the middle of teaching it to our small group. It's just amazing, though. I, I grew up studying the Bible because I went to Lutheran schools forever and 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 uh, then pastor's wife and all of that and I just just taught it but yet I learned so much more going through it again and so I will probably leave things out you're going to know things I don't know I have no problem with you saying I don't know if I if that's the same um understanding I had a scripture or you want to add something no offense ever taken that's how we learn things and if you have a question I don't know the answer to, I'll find out for you for next week. Uh -huh. So we want it to be interactive in that way where feel free to to give me your two cents. I, I love that part of it um, because I, I really noticed too that in studying, I'll look at a lot of commentaries and it's amazing how people have studied the Bible for decades and decades and decades next to someone else who studied for decades and decades and decades and they still come up with different conclusions. I think that's the beauty of the mystery of the Bible, that it it invites study. I think sometimes if it was really easy, I think we would just, oh, yeah, I get that. And we would let it go. So studying it, you're always going to get something new. So my prayer today is that you um, maybe get something new out of it, like I have gotten out of it. So the book of Acts is it's 25 percent of the New Testament is made up of Luke's writings, Luke and Acts. Luke is the only Gentile to write. Um, in the Bible. So he's got that perspective. Um, he's a physician. Um, I like that perspective of it because when, especially when he does the crucifixion story in Luke, he's um, in much more detailed as a physician. Physicians were always known, known to be detailed. So they're very good writers usually. Um, so we get that from him because I, I believe totally the, the scripture is the inspired word of God. Nothing is written in there that God doesn't want written in there, but he allows the, um, 
the, the humans that are writing it to have their own writing style and their own perspective. He, he works in that parameter. Um, Paul, is, I mean, Luke is a companion and close friend of Paul. What's interesting, and we'll get to it when we get farther into the book, but you're going to see the narrative kind of change from a they to a we. And that's where we, we see the moments that um, and the place where Luke and Pete and Paul actually meet um, because Luke was not there for when he writes the book of Luke, which was all about Jesus. He wasn't there. He never even met Jesus. So he's writing as a historian, gaining um, all the knowledge and the history and writing it down. But in, in this book, you can see that he actually becomes part of the story. And we know from other writings that we, we hear of Paul's companions and Luke is one of them. And so we're assuming this is to the time that he's probably converted. You know, he's he's a historian, but then he becomes a believer and, and part of the story, too. Um, Acts, you know, stands for Acts of the Apostles. Really, it's it's the book is the Acts of Peter and Paul, mostly. Um, but I like um, when people describe it really as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because this is a book about what the Holy Spirit does for the um, the, the church in the beginning. Um, it is it is an historical account. It is a narrative. There's four, there's five narratives in the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then, and then Acts, a, a narrative meaning an historical account. When you get to the books after this, like Acts is like a bridge from the Gospels, the life of Christ, to the epistles and revelations. The epistles are letters. There's so much to glean from the epistles. I love reading like the letters of Paul and I'm doing this and I'm like, okay, this is history. And sometimes that kind of drones on. And if I was, I was looking at it yesterday and thinking, oh, if I was teaching Romans, you know, all oh, I could, the, the things you glean from that and, and the doctrine we glean from our church and all the good things and the feel good things and the application, those are more fun to teach. I will not deny in some ways, but I'm also kind of a history geek. So I like this this narrative thing the thing is you need the narrative to really set up the other books so a lot of times people pass over these books when they want to study the bible or they're reading commentaries or they're reading books about the bible because sometimes there's not as much application but you get a lot more application from corinthians if you understand what the backstory is so this is kind of the backstory to the spreading of the gospel and how it all happened. And then you get into the wonderful things. That's why like when Maggie was saying how Margaret taught it chronologically, it's really the best because you're getting both at the same time. Um, because it's, um, who wouldn't want to teach like all the great things that Paul said? You know, I'll be like, oh, I learned so much from Bible study today. And I, you know, that's, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit working you through that, but he's got to get you through this part first. Um, so if you like history, this one today is going to be the, the one for you because I really kind of get into it. Um, like I said, really about the role of the Holy Spirit is also between conflicts between Jews and Gentiles because this was a Jewish church. Now we're the, the word is spreading to the Gentiles. Uh, they do things differently than the Jews. The Jews have been told since Genesis of uh, the whole story of the Bible, how to do things a certain way. And now here come these new believers who are coming into their church, but they're doing things different differently. So we're going to see some conflict um, between Peter and Paul, between the Jews and the Gentiles in that way. Um, it is the only record of how the early church began, how the, the Gentiles came into the church. Again, the epistles 
shed light into what was being taught, but this is the account we have of how it all, all happened. Um, it, the book does not mention Paul's death or the destruction of the temple. So um, theologians uh, kind of agree that it's probably written between 60 and 62 AD, maybe a little later, um, but it captures 30 years of Jewish history, that first 30 years uh, after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, let's see. Uh, the structure is really, it, it's like a map. You're seeing the outward movement. You can really, um, with, with especially with Paul's journeys, I mean, there's maps, and I'll give you a map when we get closer to that, but you can see where he went, and you can see how the, it all started in an upper room, and then it goes to the ends of the earth by the time, the ends of the earth at that time, um, by the time this book is over. Um, it, we're going to see it start with the Jews, and then go to the Samaritans, and then to the Gentiles. It doesn't go right from the Jews to the Gentiles. There's a reason the Samaritans are in that story. And I don't want to jump ahead to that, but we're going to see why it's important that the Samaritans are the next in line for the gospel. Peter is really the kind of the first part, and he's the leader of the Jewish church at this time. And then Paul, we're going to get into him, and he'll be the leader of the Gentile church. A lot of nuances that go with both of those we'll get to also. Um, what always has blown my mind on this is how quickly in this 30-year period that the church is going from being a Jewish church to being a Gentile church with just a remnant of Jews. It happened, it happened quickly that um that it really spread out to the Gentiles. Uh just a little word study before we're gonna hear a lot about apostles. I think you know this. I don't mean to, but I also like teach confirmation. I just was teaching confirmation last night. I teach that sometimes. And so you know, sometimes I got to go back. So sometimes if I'm acting, if you think I'm acting like your seventh graders, it's just, <laughs> that's my comfort zone. And sometimes I just go back to that because I'm more comfortable with, with the seventh graders last night. Um, so, so excuse me for that occupational hazard. So a disciple is a student who learns from a teacher. So we always hear about the 12 disciples. We do hear in the gospels where they're at one time called apostles when Jesus sent them out. I think he was sick of them. He's go out, tell people about after he'd spoken to a crowd. But an apostle is someone who delivers or spreads those teachings. So all apostles are disciples. You can't spread a message if you haven't learned that. But not all disciples are apostles. Some people are just learning. They didn't go out then and spread. So that's the difference between disciples and apostles. And this all really begins with, I think, the Matthew 28, 16 to 20, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And this is what we're going to see happening. The way I teach, because it's, it's how I like to do it, but really we're just going to read verse by verse. We're going to go through the book that way, at least for the the, the first part of it, the, the major part of it. Toward the end, time-wise, and what if I want to bring in some other stuff from Paul, we may condense a little bit of the of his journeys, but in the beginning, we're going to do verse by verse. When um, I, I usually, my, my source for the Bible is almost always the Bible itself, but if I'm quoting something or bringing in something new from someone else, I'll always tell you. Um, but I use a lot of commentaries, um, even the commentaries at the bottom of my Bible, which I didn't realize how good they were until I spent, I spent a week on this question when I taught Exodus about if the, the, the Nile turned to blood or it was red. I spent so much time on that. I asked every pastor I could find. I researched everything. 
And I came to a conclusion of this right in the bottom of my Bible the whole time. So my Concordia self-study Bible is a pretty good, it's a pretty good, um, you know, commentary on that. Um, what's nice too is there's bad things about the internet, but some of the nice things is you can, you can add your fingertips. You can have so many Bible commentaries. My rule always in a Bible commentary is it's got to use the Bible to explain the Bible. And it's got to have a lot of agreement on it. There are some things I'm going to tell you that I can't figure out which view is right. And I will be honest, I'm going to give you both views. And then, you know, you can figure out which one you want to go by. But I don't like to determine that for other people, you know, if I if I think there's two ways to look at something. Also, what we're going to talk about today, I, I also have another resource because I have a husband who's a pastor. So I like call him up, called him up the other day. I said, Will you just look up this for me because I'm confused. So we got in a lot of talk last week about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. And I go to church Sunday and it's like, wait a minute, you're using some of my themes here that I have to Bible directly. And he's like, well, it was the baptism of Jesus Sunday anyways. And so you can't help but it's an occupational hazard. You're talking about it. So um, if you go on Redeemer's website, we have a live stream little box and you go on there it's kind of hidden this time for some reason it didn't pop up right away this past Sunday. But if you look, there's like two tabs and I think one says video it's on there, but you look up January 8th, this past Sunday, it's, it's a good compliment to what we're talking about because he, Randy really went into the history of the Jews and related it to baptism. So if you want a little supplemental part of this lesson, that would be a good one. So um, he can work for me this time since I was doing research. For him this week. And, but that would be a good one too. So when Luke starts, we're going to just start with Luke 1.1. 1, 1. You can take notes if you want. I don't really have like a study guide because a lot of people like me just write it in their Bible. And also you don't need to write down stuff you already know just because I'm teaching it. If you already know it, you already know it. But like I said before, these are the Bible verses. And um, so at some points I'll ask if somebody wants to, to read something. Um, I think we'll probably get through them all. Um Actually, what I want to do actually is start with, with Peter. Um, instead of just starting on Acts 1-1 right now. I want to do a little background um, study on Peter. We all know his story, but sometimes I think when you hear it again, especially when you're doing a study on Peter, it kind of comes to life again. So does someone want to read um, John 1, 35 to 42? This is the, the initial calling of Peter, where Jesus calls him. Thank you. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two, two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around. Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called C Cephas, Jesus. which when translated is Peter. 
I picked that version of Peter's calling and because it's the one that's that is the only one that says you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means the rock. And that really becomes part of, of who Peter is, is, is that rock. And so that um, just from doing this study became my favorite version of Peter's calling. But how he's called being a fisherman, that calling is going to come back full circle in a little while. So I wanted to read that. Who has Matthew 16, 13 to 18? I can read that. Thank you. To make sure I've got Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered that, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barthona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also state to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower. It's so powerful. Peter gets it. He's... Mm -hmm. This is also the, the big theme in Acts about the Holy Spirit being able to help us interpret, interprets the scripture for us. Because there's a lot of stuff in the Gospels where the apostles, the, the disciples, they don't get it. Like, I mean, Jesus is teaching and teaching and they don't get it. And I finally get why they didn't get it, because they're going to get it now because they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a little bit, but they're going to have that, that permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But here we see that Peter already, um, through that, understands who Jesus is. And on, 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 on this church, he's, on this rock, he's going to build the church. Um, we don't see evidence, like I don't see evidence of it when I study it, that Peter is the exclusive head of the church. He is a leader among leaders. And you're going to see that in the book of Acts as um, the, the church is forming. Um, but like for our Catholic friends, they would probably use this as one of the verses to, to um, back up Peter being the head of the church and the first Pope. So that's a great discussion for some time. Anybody wants to get into that? Because I, I, like I said, I love that and being able to come together of, of different denominations, not different faiths, but discuss that. So, so from what I've read and from my commentaries, it seems like he's a leader among other leaders too. And then a story we know so well, but very pivotal, Luke 22, 54 to 62. This is the, the denial of Christ. Yeah. Did that say any of that one? Yes. Okay. No. I have. Okay. Yeah, you can get the next one. Okay, go ahead, Kathy. You can do it. All right. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. Peter followed at a distance, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. 
How far am I? Like, supposed to go ahead, keep going. Then a mage, seeing him as he sat in the light and gazing at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Uh, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And that, that last sentence is, is key. He went out and wept bitterly. He remembered, he he was repentant of that. And that um that structure, denying three times, sitting around the fire, denying Jesus three times, leads us to, I mean, there's so much more we could do, Peter, the whole time, but we're not here to learn Peter, but we need to learn Peter again to learn Acts. But I could go all day on Peter. But the next uh Bible reading in John is if this changes like the wind. For now, this year, this past couple of years, this has been my favorite reading in the Bible. Um, so Sandy, you want to do this one? Yeah. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than they than than, than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Go to um, verse 19. 19. Oh, yeah. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So we have a lot going on here. We have, and if um, previously, I should have probably read a little bit ahead of this, but you can go back to home and read ahead of this. But here, Jesus is appearing to his disciples after his resurrection. Guess what they're doing? They're fishing. It's the same thing that happened when he called Peter. He goes to where they're fishing. He tells them to put their net in the water. It's the same setup. And then he has this conversation with Peter. He's asking Peter, um, do you love me? Now, this is one of those times where there's different views on this. I can't settle on one, so I'll give you both. The way John writes, it, his style is he interchanges words a lot. So he might use a word for boat and then a different word for boat. Because to really study the Bible, you got to study it in the languages written in. So you need to study this in Greek. I don't know Greek, but a lot of people do know Greek on the internet. And I I, I got to get a little credit because the whole first couple of years of our marriage, my whole house was filled with these little cards, this box, and these little cards were all over with these Greek words. And on the backside would be the English thing. And pastors really have to learn that in seminary is their Greek and their Hebrew, because it really goes back to that. 
And so how John writes is sometimes the interchanges words. Okay, just so you know that, that could be part of it when I get to what I'm saying. Um, but also I think you can't dismiss the fact of really going to the Greek translation of a word. So Jesus is asking Peter three times, sitting around after eating in a fire, after fishing, just like before, do you love me? Well, the word for love is, Jesus says, do you agape me? Agape in Greek is an all-encompassing um, love. It's sacrificial. There's no higher love than that. So Peter answers back, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. That's like Philadelphia brotherly love. He's answering him in a different word. Could be because John intermixes words all the time. Could be because Jesus had asked him, if you love me more than these, talking about the brothers. It could be just simply Peter could not commit to that sacrificial love. He knows himself. He, he, he denied Christ. He knows he's not perfect. He's not good enough. This is the version I like because it, as we go in the story, it gives me comfort. But I, I think either way, it really talks about the relationship that Jesus and Peter had. Just he, Now he's talking about feeding my sheep. He's not a fisherman anymore. He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to be leading the sheep around. So then he asked him again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says again, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He still can't say it. Yeah. He still can't get, get himself there. But then the third time something changes, the relationship changes. This, this makes me choked up because I'm thinking about Jesus, my relationship with Jesus. But Jesus says to him the third time, remember he denied Christ three times. Jesus is approaching him three times. The words change, but Peter's words don't change. Jesus's words change. See, this makes me, this makes me um kind of emotional. But Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know, I phileo you. Jesus comes down to us and he takes us where we're at and he uses us for his purpose. Mm -hmm. And he is going to build his church on this man that can't fully commit yet mm -hmm. and do marvelous things with Peter in his life. And I think there's <laughs> such application for us because we've all got something that God wants us to do. In some way, he will erase what happened when the rooster crowed and he will meet us where we're at and he will take us where we want to go. So Peter to me is such an example of what Jesus can do with all of us. So there's our little backstory on Peter and kind of having that in mind as, as we study him, because we don't get to Paul for a while. We'll do a little study on him, mostly a back-end study, but we, we already know who Peter is. So let's start um, going to uh Acts 1 1 now. And I'm going to read the parts of Acts because it just, I keep stopping so much and, and doing commentary that it'll be hard for you guys. I use the NIV version, so it might be a little different than yours, but you know, it's all good. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to go verse by verse. So here we are. Jesus is going to be taken up in heaven. Remember, this is like the um the next part of Luke. This happens right after the book of Luke. In the former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken into heaven. So all he began to do, Jesus is still doing stuff. Now let's look at who this Theophilus was that Luke is talking about in, in the gospel of Luke and, um, and here. Theophilus is, um, he's the benefactor. He's the one that is, um, he's funding Luke's ministry. Um, probably himself, wanting to know more about Jesus. Um, Theophilus means lover of God. He's a man of rank. 
And so this is kind of common in the day that somebody would be your benefactor for you to, to do this historical writing. And so in this case, it's Theophilus. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So he's just summing up what happened after the after the resurrection that Jesus came back down. He appeared to his, his apostles. Um, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 40 days is going to be pivotal. The numbers mean something in the Bible. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Pentecost. Um, it's kind of contradictory because Jesus just told them to go out and make disciples of all nations. And he said, oh, just wait. Because what they needed to wait for was the Holy Spirit. This is 40 days. He stayed with them 40 days after the resurrection. Then um, he's going to come a few days later for Pentecost. Pentecost is going to be the 50th day. Pentecost is, we hear the word Pentecost for the first time here. It's not a new word. Pentecost is just the Greek translation of the word. So here's what all that history comes in, the Jewish history. So if you guys like it, great. If you don't, um, you're going to love it when I get to the book of Acts. <laughs> okay, so it's just, I think you've, you've gleaned so much more out of the New Testament when you know the most, the Old Testament. Knowing Moses helps you understand Jesus and vice versa. I was not raised learning a lot about the Jewish history, and I don't know if it's just I just like, didn't pay attention to it. But even in, in our, for the Lutherans, even in our 1940 hymnal, um, 1940-41 hymnal, whatever that was, we didn't even have an Old Testament lesson. And I don't know if it's because we were just not understanding the benefits of knowing that history. But also, I think, especially for German Lutherans, there was, you know, maybe a little disconnect between the Germans and the Jews in 1940. Not that we were against the Jews, but I think we were against Hitler. So you really didn't like have a lot of Germans in America going around talking about Jewish history. Plus, most of us probably grew up where there weren't Jewish people around. So it didn't seem relative. It is, but it didn't seem that way. So when we moved to Redeemer, and I met a lot of Jewish people. One of one of my confirmation classes, I was doing sixth grade, and I had four kids in there with Jewish dads. And it really helped me start to realize that um, when you're in an area with Jewish people, you the Holy Spirit is going to work in you when you talk about the Jewish history. Um, and just this little, I don't want to, I can't give away this story, um, but I can give away a little of the story. Because I told you, Randy and I were talking about all this stuff in the Jewish history. And then he did a sermon Sunday, really full of Jewish history and baptism. Um, afterwards, we're like, did you see who was in church? And afterwards of that, the next day, uh, the spouse of this person said, it was the perfect sermon. This person was Jewish. And his heart is opening up to be a believer. Oh, I'm sorry. So. There was a Jewish person in church Sunday when Randy was talking about the Jewish history and the baptism. And um, that person's spouse said that was perfect for them to hear. And that you can watch. I've watched this for years, this person's heart opening to the word of God and the Holy Spirit working in them. So you never know. But so so connecting into that. And like I said, it also makes it better for us. We can understand the New Testament better. So what's going on here? Um, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost is called the Feast of Weeks back in the Old Testament. 
Before that is the Feast of First Fruits. The First Fruits includes Passover. We know Passover, we know that from the time of Moses, when 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 the 10th the plague and the killing of the firstborn. And we know, we understand that. That's the e an easy leap, that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He was the perfect lamb. He died. Well, then he rose again. That would have been on the Feast of the First Fruits. No coincidence that Jesus died on Passover and, and all these, these Jewish festivals are, are he's fulfilling them. So the Feast of Firstfruits uh, was a reminder to Israel that God was the source of their prosperity and welfare. First fruits are offerings given for the spring barley harvest. The first ripe sheaf, the first fruits of barley, was offered to the Lord as an act of dedica dedicating the harvest to him, an act of thanksgiving and commitment to God. On Passover, a marked sheaf of grain was bundled and left standing in the field. The next day was the first day of unleavened bread. It was on this day that the sheaf was cut and prepared for offering. On the third day, the first day of the Feast of Passover, the second unleavened bread and the third first fruits, the priest waved the sheaf before the Lord. Um, the counting of the days then began and continued up to the day after seventh Sabbath, the 50th day, the 50th day is called Shabbat or Pentecost. So, um, I mean, oh, by the way, I'm using, I say, when I use sources, I will tell you, uh, this is in a lot of history. This is not anything new that Rose Publishing came up with, but these Rose Publishing guides to the Bible are all, they're great. There's maps, there's overlays. It, they just organize things so well. So I was doing it. I had notes and like, they say it better than I do. So anyways, there's three festivals where all the Jews have to go to Jerusalem. So we have um, Passover, first fruits, and then um, the Feast of Weeks. So the Jewish people are in are in Jerusalem for the feast. They probably stayed over from Passover um, because some of them are traveling really far. But we see here that the Old Testament feasts, 50 days after Passover, we're going to have the Feast of Weeks, the Old Testament um, feast. We have the Feast of Weeks. This is Pentecost. They're celebrating Pentecost. Pentecost wasn't born in the New Testament. It was born in the Old Testament. But Jesus is going to fulfill it in the, the New Testament. When the temple was in um, existence, the Feast of Weeks was one of those three pilgrimages, like I said, Passover, First Fruits, um, Feast of Weeks. Um, the Feast of Weeks is related to the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law. This becomes very important. It is also known as a season of giving the Torah. It is believed that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments at this time. So how awesome. This is when they're celebrating the giving of the law. And it's when we're going to celebrate the giving of the spirit. We see this such a correlation. There's such a good one that I that very few people pick up on that I can't wait to tell you about in a little bit. But um, and it really it, it the feast of weeks is the covenant between God and Israel initiated in the Old Testament. Um, uh, on Shabbat, the uh, foot of Mount Sinai, and then it was sealed with the covenant of Jesus' blood. Um, can, let's see. Okay. Um, oh, can someone read Deuteronomy 16, 9 to 11? That's on the back page, if you need to see that again. It's under Pentecost, but it says Deuteronomy 16, 9 to 11, and it talks about the Feast of Weeks.
Go ahead, I'm Jeannie. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, verse 16. 16, 9 to 11. 16, 9 to 11. 16, 9 to 16. 9, okay. Started 9 to 11. Mm -hmm. Seven weeks after the harvest begins, there shall be another festival before the Lord your God, called the Festival of Weeks. At that time, bring in... Bring to him a free will offering proportionate in size in his blessing upon you as judged by the amount of your harvest. It is a time to rejoice before the Lord with your family and household. And don't forget to include the local Levites. Right? Keep going. Okay, you're good. There, you're good. That we just need to see how it was. Uh, uh, um, instituted in the Old Testament. You can see why it's so important for the new Jewish converts to have that bridge to the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come up with just a bunch of new stuff everybody was supposed to believe. Um, it, it's it's going to make it a lot easier for them to understand what is going on because they already understand it. They're just understanding it through the Holy Spirit in the new lens through Jesus Christ. Um, verse 9. Or verse six, sorry. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they're thinking now, you know, Jesus talks about that, that his kingdom will be restored. They're thinking, okay, he rose, he saw us, he went to heaven, we're done. End times, we're here. Um, so Jesus, so Jesus answered back. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's like you're not going to know when the, when the end is here, but you're going to get the Holy Spirit. He's going to explain it to you, and you're going to go out and you're going to tell other people. If you do the supplemental listening to Randy's sermon last Sunday, he talks a lot about this this idea of not knowing the time or place. It goes back uh, when Jesus is talking about, um, uh, he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And my father, even though my father's house has many rooms, I'm going to go prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And they ask, well, when is that going to be? And I'm just paraphrasing now. Uh, and he says, um, you know, only the father knows. That is all covenant talk, which goes back to wedding talk in the Bible. We're the bride of Christ. When, when Jewish people got married, their betrothal would have a cup of wine, just like Holy Communion. The, the bridegroom, the future bridegroom, would then go back to his father's house. He would prepare a room for his new bride. Now, you know, young men get married. It's like, boom, 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 I'm ready. I'm going to go get my bride. That's why the father had to say when the room was ready. And they, so they understand what Jesus is saying here, that only the father knows the time. Because that's that's covenant talk, that's wedding talk. So God the Father knows when the end times will come. But till now, this is what's going to happen. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently upon the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, those were angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way 
you have seen him go to heaven. Then we get into um, the the um, the bookkeeping of the of the disciples. Basically, they they there's this problem now because Judas is dead and they need to know what to do. So we get into the part where they they replace Judas with Matthias. Verse twelve. When they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mountain of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city, that, was, that meant about three quarters of a mile because you could walk three quarters of a mile on a Sabbath. When they arrived, they were upstairs. They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Uh, so they were in the upper room, could possibly, probably be the same one that um, the Last Supper was in, because they they stayed here in Jerusalem because of the festivals. But I mean, they, they were from Jerusalem. Anyways, they're also afraid to really leave that their leader was just crucified on a cross. They're not going to be all men about town. So probably the same upper room. Um, and as I did learn at Christmas time, um, how the Jewish households were um built you had your living quarters and then up above is your upper room where it would be where, where guests would stay because i did learn to my demise there was no innkeeper there was no inn when jesus went to when jesus was born in this little town of bethlehem there was probably they would probably go to relatives houses and stay in the upper room and it's translated wrong as and it should be upper room because that's how jewish people did it that's where people would stay you could rent this upper room and then below on the bottom levels probably in, inside, like built into the hill, built into the house, this stable where the animals would go, which is actually early American too. Early American houses would have oftentimes the barn connected to the house. So yeah, that blew my mind. Jesus is not born. So well, I'm over the stable thing 20 years ago. I was into the cave and now I'm realizing <laughs> that probably just was in the bottom of a house and they didn't have room from up there. So they were probably still in, in that, in that upper room. And it was probably, as we see, pretty big. Um, Sense again. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Um, that brother thing is is significant because um, we heard before in the Gospels that his Jesus's brothers didn't believe; they weren't believers right away. So after the resurrection, we see that they were believers, um, and also that the women were there. People often. Women critics of the Bible will say it's just it's all about the men and, and Jesus didn't respect me. He does. The women are in every story. So we're good there. People just read it. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So a lot of them in there and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and we sh and shared in our ministry. So we're not going to read those verses, but it, it was the whole death of Jesus was prophesied. So they know from prophecy that Jesus, that, uh, that Jesus is going to be betrayed. Um, it also talks about the, the disciples being the head of the 12 tribes. So they're going to need 12 disciples. So they need to know what to do. Um, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. Um, so, you know, we're recounting Judas's death again to show it was justified. Um, the reason, like, they talk about his body falling headlong and spilling open, that because of when Judas died, there were rules about burying people on the Sabbath. And so um, 
that's probably why we see his body um, decomposing. And um, so the the Pharisees would have gotten the money back. He well, he gave them the money back. He threw the money back at him that um, he got for um, for um, uh, betraying Jesus. And um, so they had the money back. This is now blood money. Um, we see that there was a field where the, the field where Judas, um, his blood was spilled. It's called the field of blood. No one could ever use this field again. It'll never be used. This is all prophecy. And we won't spend the time on that. But if you want to study that more, your own little study, you can go back and look at Judas and the prophecies. So we already see here Peter kind of taking the leadership role. And... Um, it goes on to say, may this place be deserted. They'll let there be no one to dwell in it. Um, again, study that later. And may another take the place of leadership. So now they're going to see how are we going to find this, this, this leader. So we have a few minutes left. I'm going to get through this story and, um, before we go. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these men must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So there are um, there are rules. Who can be a disciple? You had to be there the whole time. You couldn't just be picking some faithful person out. They had to be witness to Jesus' ministry, to his to and to his resurrection. So they proposed two men: Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Casting lots was a um, recognized form in the Bible so far of finding out what the will of God was. This is the last time we see it. The difference being, next chapter, we're going to see Pentecost and the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit next time, how it wasn't a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit before this. People received the Holy Spirit at times for specific reasons, but now it's a continuous indwelling. You don't need to cast lots to see the will of God because now the Spirit is in you and it's going It's going to tell you. You pray to God, you, you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. So this is the last time we see the casting of lots, but it wasn't done in a way of like a lottery. Like this is from God when we see it in the Bible of the casting of lots. So with this, um, they they pick um, Matthias. And then quickly, as we get into our reading next week, which I really thought we would got to this week. Sorry. Um, this is the slowest lesson, I promise. We're going to go a little faster because we don't have all the backstory. But we're going to see Pentecost happen. I want you to think about this before next week, in case you have questions, because this is what um, this is my rabbit hole of the week. Where did Pentecost happen? We know we're going to go verse by verse, but we already know it's the speaking of tongues. It's the baptism of all these people. Where did it happen? Always thought maybe it was a Sunday school picture in a book, because sometimes that's where we get our images from, that it happened in the upper room and they came out onto the streets. I don't think so. I went from thinking there were two sides to this story to I'm really set on one. Um, could it have been in the upper room? Was there room on the streets for 3,000 people? Yeah, they could have done that and they could have been <clears throat> baptized there. But the temple is down the street. It is also called the house of God. The temple could have easily fit 3,000 people. The temple, there, there were ceremonial baths all around 
Jerusalem. That's why I'm telling you this before we go, because if you do listen to that sermon. So there's ceremonial baths all around, but the big one that could baptize 3,000 people at the south end of the temple. And how how meaningful that that the spirit is now coming into the house of us, our house. I'm thinking they were they were gonna they're gonna be at the temple. So if you want to kind of research that or think about that, I think there's maybe um, arguments on both sides. Does it matter? No. But if you're kind of a history geek, it puts a whole different picture in your head of where this happened. Plus, there's actually a verse we're gonna find out exactly what time this happened at. Um, if it is if it is a festival day and you are in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival because God told you you had to, are you really going to be hanging out on the street outside an upper room or are you going to be in the temple? Where are you going to be <laughs> in the temple? So think about that for next time. So there is no homework associated with this Bible study unless you want to read ahead in Acts. So you can do that. But if you do want to read it ahead in Acts, I'm going to tell you everything I want to tell you. So I would be doing it through Margaret's um study because it'll it'll guide you through give you a little perspective but i also really ran this off because maybe it's something you just want to keep in your bible and do later when you want to refresh or too it's just it's a good thing to have so let's fold our hands and end with prayer dear lord thank you for bringing us all together this week to to learn your word to study in it to to let the holy spirit work in us and understand what you are trying to tell us in the scripture Please be with us all this week, those of us that are traveling, those of us that are ill, both physically and have, um, and, and mentally, and all the things that, that we go through. Help us remember that your spirit is there, your son died for us, and you are always there, Heavenly Father, to watch over us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. At this rate, it's a 72-week study, but we won't go past it. Oh, I it's a good pace. Um, but the, the first one is a lot of back study. <laughs>